You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com. Last week, Kenny did a, Pastor Kenny did a great job introducing us to the book of 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter here is writing to Christians scattered all over Asia Minor. They are elect exiles on this earth, and they live as sojourners who don't have a home in this world. Their new life as a Christian has become strange to those around them, and as a minority, they're tempted to conform to the practices around them. But they are not of this world. They are chosen by God. And this morning, in this passage, speaks to them, and it speaks to us of the plan that God has for his people and what he has prepared for them to come. So this morning, we're going to look at this passage, look at three things specifically in here. So first, what we are born again for in this passage. Second, what does God do to make us ready? And last, what is genuine faith? So let's pray before we get started. Father, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You own cattle on a thousand hills. You own the hills and the stars, and the planets, and the universe, and yet you give thought to us, your creatures whom you have made for your glory and in your image. And so be with us this morning through your word. Speak to us, Lord. Um, Speak life to our hearts. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So first, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5, and we're going to spend a lot of time in this first point here. So what are we born again for? Not why, but looking forward thinking here. So what are we born again towards? To what end have we been born again? We've been born here again for three things with supporting phrases that will show up here in verses 3 through 5. So let's read it here first. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, first one, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing we're born again towards is a living hope. We are giving a living hope because Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus is our living hope because he raised from the dead and he will reign forever and he is alive Now, our Savior, who came and died in our place and raised from the dead, conquered death. So our hope is in Jesus because he is real and he is alive and he is a living hope. But we also have a hope that's living in another sense, as in our hope is also in Christ and with Christ since we have been raised with him when he raised And we will live forever because he lives forever. Colossians 3, 3 through 4 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So when Christ died for our sins, we died too along with him. And he has raised, but he has not yet appeared And when he does, our redeemed lives will also appear. When he comes, this perishable body will be raised and become imperishable. This natural body of dust will be raised as a heavenly body with glory. This mortal body 
will put on immortality and we will be made new. This body that is broken and dying now won't be redeemed in this life, but it will in the life to come. Our physical bodies are set on a path to die. And that won't be reversed in this life unless Jesus comes before that is completed in your life. And so there is a life, there is a living hope to come for us, but it's not yet here. Our bodies will die and they are growing old and they are growing weak, but there is a new body, a new life to come. And we have been born again so that we have this living hope that we will be with Jesus and we will be given this glorified body and it will appear when he appears again and he will come again. So the first thing in here it says we're born again towards is a living hope. The second thing we see is we're born again to an inheritance. So we're born again, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So there is an inheritance for God's people, but we haven't received it yet. It's kept in heaven for us. We are all sojourners now, but we will receive a new country, a new kingdom, a new city. The saints of old in Hebrews, it says this of them. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For, he, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So on this earth, we are strangers and exiles and sojourners. This is not the city, the country, the kingdom we were made for. We have a, a dual citizenship in this sense. We are citizens of countries here. We do live in cities or counties or areas here. Um, but it's a temporal kingdom. It's a temporal city. It's a temporal place that we live in that we are called as Christians to participate in. Yet, we're not of it. It's not our lasting home. We have an eternal one that God is preparing for us yet to be revealed. And so, so we live in this current dwelling, waiting for the Lord, but merely as sojourners. We don't fit in, or we ought not to fit in. What we value is far different. What we live for is far different. What we hope in is far different. And so we live in this kingdom temporarily now, but looking to the eternal kingdom that will come, the eternal heat inheritance that God has for us, and it's kept in heaven for us. Therefore, it's secure, not like any earthly treasure or inheritance. This inheritance cannot be destroyed as things in this life are. This inheritance cannot be defiled like the promised land and the temple of, the God, of God were many times in history. It will not wear out. It will not run out. We will get it. It's kept in heaven for us. It will be pure and true, and it will last forever. God has an inheritance for his people that we've been born again to, but is not here yet. We still live as strangers and exiles 
and sojourners. And this new city will be like cities are meant to be. Cities are places where broken people go for help, they go for a new start, they go for a new life, and there is a heavenly city where Jesus is the fulfiller of all those things. All the desires of this city, all the desires of our hearts and our families. And this city has more room. There's lots of room in this city. Jesus says, as many as receive him, he gives them the right to be called children of God. And what children of God are is their heirs. And what heirs get is an inheritance. And so this heavenly city, there's more room. We can take people with us. We can share about it. We can tell them where we're going and all God has for us. And would you join us? Would you come? Do you want a city like that? that heals the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit, that has a king that rules justly and rightly and true and is there for his people all the time. That is the city that we are going to and others can come too. So would we share of this city? Um, As we live in this temporary one, would we share of the greater one to come, the one that we are traveling towards, the way a city was meant to be? So that's the second thing here. It says we are born again towards, to an inheritance that God is keeping for us to be revealed later. The third thing here, it says born again for a salvation. So it says, verse 5, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And verse 9 fills this out a little bit and says the salvation of your souls. So the first thing here is, it's ready to be revealed. It's not in doubt. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a work in progress. It's ready to go. He has promised it and he will deliver it. It's not like many promises on this earth or business partners that say, I'll have it to you by Monday. And what you're really thinking is if it shows up by Friday, that will be all right. Or Monday three weeks later, He promises and he delivers. It's ready to go. It's not a work in progress as if he's scrambling, trying to figure it out, hopes he can get it done. This salvation is ready to go and ready to be revealed to us. And this full full salvation, as is obvious by that point, is not yet here. This is not yet here either. It's ready, but we haven't received it yet. And there is a great salvation that is waiting for us, where we will be saved from our perishable bodies that are dying and decaying and growing old. We'll be saved from our enemies and from Satan's kingdom and his darkness to an inheritance. And we will be fully saved from our sin and all of its effects. And when this salvation comes, the battle will be done. The war is already over. Jesus has won that. When he said it was finished on the cross, he meant it. Um, But the battles are still wrapping up. And one day, this salvation will be fully ushered in. The war is already won, but there's still battles to be fought. A couple things just stepping back here as we look at these three things is look at the security that God has given us. He says, I've given you a living living hope hidden Christ, secured by Jesus raising from the dead. I raised from the dead so that you may know you will raise from the dead one day when I return and when this life is revealed. 
And so it's secured by Jesus, an inheritance kept by God in heaven for us, where it can't be stolen, it won't decay, it can't be lost, it won't run out, and a salvation by faith, a faith that God has given and guards by his power, it says here. And so look at what God has given us, but it's not yet here. All of these things it's talking about, we haven't yet received. And so look how much is still coming for God's people. In fact, there's so much in store, God's people, that what we have now is actually described as a a down payment. And so I don't know if you've thought about this life versus the life to come. And is it it 50-50? Is it we got 75% of it now, and then God's just going to polish off a few edges when we get there? It talks about it as being from one degree of glory to another. It's a whole different league. It's not, I'm just on a better team but I went up a league. I went up a degree. I'm in a whole different class now of glory than what we have on this earth. And so amazing things that God has promised us here. And it says what we have right now is a mere sampling, a mere down payment of it. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says this, and just hear the similarity between this and this morning's passage. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." The word guarantee here can also be translated and has kind of the idea of a deposit, a first installment, a down payment. And so he says, you've received the Holy Spirit. This is a seal and the first fruits of what is to come in your life. A good example would probably be an engagement ring. An engagement ring is a seal of a wedding to come, but not just a wedding to come, but a life of marriage to come. The marriage isn't yet here. The wedding isn't yet here, but there's been a ring given saying that's what we're going towards. And the degree that the wedding and the lifelong marriage afterwards is more valuable than the moment of giving a ring is to the degree that this glory in heaven is greater than the glory on this earth. And the gap's probably wider, but a ring versus a lifelong marriage, the gap between what we have now and what God will give us is even wider than that gap. And this is not to downplay what we already have. It says we're new creations. It says we've been forgiven our sins. It says we've been made spiritually alive and removed from death. But look at what yet is yet to come for God's people in this passage. So what happens between the down payment here of the Holy Spirit and the full thing is that God is making us ready to receive it. The ring has been given. The first installment of the inheritance has been sent. Things are in motion. Plans are made. The wedding is coming between Christ and his church. He has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come again and he will take us to himself. And so what happens between now and then? God's making us ready. Verse 6 through 7. It says this. In this, so the above things we just talked about, in this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
So that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A few things that stick out here. First, this faith is more valuable than anything you have. Why? Because it tethers you to Jesus, who is the most valuable thing you have. Your life is hid in him. And so this faith connects you and tethers you to the person and work of Jesus, who is your life. And this faith is precious because of that object that it is fixated on. It's not just faith in this or that. It's faith in Jesus, the God of the universe, which gives it power, which makes it valuable, more valuable than gold, though it's refined by fire. A few examples of what this faith looks like. Faith is like an eye that lets you see. But when it's working, it's helping you look at something else, namely Jesus. And so I don't want my eyes to see myself. When my eyes are working properly, I can see you. I can see beyond them. I know what's going on around me. I don't think much about my eye. I can just see. And the eyes of our hearts are made to see Jesus. And so that's what faith does. Faith, like the eye of our heart, sees Jesus. Another example of this is faith is a a conduit by which we receive Jesus. So a plastic PVC pipe in and of itself has not much value, but the value in that is it can bring fresh water to places that need it. And so our faith alone has very little value, but it's what it brings to us. It's what it's tethered to. It's what it allows us to see Jesus that brings value to this. And so faith is the eye that allows us to see Jesus because he's valuable, much more valuable than my eye. And he's the conduit that brings the fresh water to my soul because that water is valuable, not the pipe in and of itself, but the pipe brings what I need to me. Faith brings Jesus to our eyes, to our hearts, to our souls. And so it's more precious than anything else we have in this life. Faith in Jesus is the greatest treasure in our life, valuable in all circumstance. Whatever the circumstance is, the thing we need the most is to see Jesus in it. We don't need, as Ryan was saying, we don't need the call to a friend first and foremost. We don't need someone who can relate to our story. We don't need to check the bank account if we can afford this. We don't need to call insurance and see what happens here. We need Jesus. We need to see Jesus And this faith allows us to see Jesus in all of these circumstances, more precious than anything that gold, even purified gold, can bring to us. So the first thing is the value of this faith in Jesus that is here. Two, God sees these trials as a necessary means to strengthen this faith. Various trials in life are necessary to accomplish all that God has for us. And he wants more for us. He wants to give us more, more faith, more joy, more life, more glory, more peace. And trials is a means that he uses to accomplish that. Therefore, when you meet a trial, know that he is working salvation in you. Trials are his salvation in action. This is God carrying out his plan, and he will keep you and guard you with his guarding power. So if you're confused in those moments, as they are confusing, they're challenging, they're trying, a loss, a pain, a suffering, that you don't know why, 
and you don't know how long, and you don't know what God is doing, we have at least one answer. What he is doing is he is saving you. He says, I am saving you. I have given you a faith, and I'm going to guard it. And through these trials of this life, just for a little time, I see them necessary for what I desire to accomplish. That's beyond what we would want for ourselves. And so one answer in those moments, in the confusion, even if the confusion still remains as you cry out to God, who's near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit, he says, I'm saving you. That's what I'm doing. I have a plan for you. I have a life, a hope, an inheritance, a salvation, and I am moving you towards it. I'm saving you. So think little of your judgment of what you think is necessary. God knows better than I do. God knows better than we do. And what he is accomplishing is glorious. He is saving you. And he does it with compassion. So God, summarize here, who, who gives us faith as a gift and seals us with the Holy Spirit as a down payment and a guarantee of what is to come, will also guard our faith by his power so that we, through faith, endure trials. And these trials will strengthen and purify our faith so that our faith may result in praise and glory and honor from God as we share in Christ's reward. Again, verse 7, he says, So the testing genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What an amazing path that God has us on. So we see here that we will share in Christ's glory and praise and honor. We'll share in his goodness. When we get there and this salvation is fully revealed, as our faith has been strengthened and proven true through trials, he will say to us something like, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so it's not that we get there and we have this inheritance and we have this new body and we just says, go have fun. There's a kingdom of a lot of good things here. If we don't treasure Jesus now, that's not going to be appealing to us. We won't treasure him later. But he says, enter into my joy. So Jesus in heaven, in this inheritance, in our glorified bodies that can see him for what he is, he says, I will share myself. He shares himself. He shares his kingdom. He shares his throne. He shares his love. He shares his joy. He shares his glory with us. All this is secured through faith that he gives us as a gift. And that's why this faith in Jesus is more valuable than anything else we have in this life. So the last question this morning. If this faith is so valuable, this faith in Jesus, what does it look like? What does it look like to have this? Well, it starts by hearing about Jesus from his word in the Bible. The gospel is preached to you. It is read to you. It's explained to you. Maybe someone shares it over coffee. Maybe you hear it on the radio. Maybe you're listening to a podcast. And so it starts by you hearing about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, why he came to save and redeem us. It starts about hearing about him. And then two, you may not believe it right away, but it piques your interest. 
there's a level of curiosity that comes with it, or a level of intrigue, or maybe a good type of confusion in who Jesus is. You've heard a lot about him, maybe. You've heard that name. Often people say they believe in him, um, but you can't differentiate anything from their life from the life of maybe the Bible. But as you're reading it, there's an intrigue here, and maybe it's a new one that hasn't been there. Um, It's new, and it's fresh, and there's something else that that sticks out to you that hasn't been there before. Maybe you're there because you're working through a trial right now. You're suffering through something. The thing that God says he will keep our faith in is also a way that he produces faith. And so you're walking through something in your life, and someone shares the Bible, shares Jesus to you, and something sticks out just more than it did before. So you, you hear the word, and it's intriguing in a way that hasn't been before. Next, you read more, you ask more questions, you learn more, and you start to see some implications here. And so you see, if this were to be true, this doesn't line up with the way I've, I've viewed the world. This doesn't line up with the things that I value. You start to see the, the cost or the implications here of this isn't just something I can, I can take or leave or just slap onto the side of my life, but it wants more than that. And so Jesus here is intriguing or maybe confusing at first, but you start to see if this, you start to put it together, and if this, if this has implications in my life, and if Jesus is this way, then that means this about this, and that means this about this, and that means this about this. It starts, it starts to come together, and you see the cost and the clarity that Jesus brings and what he gives. And then, at some point, known to you or not, God and his gospel and his spirit break through, and God changes you. And he opens your eyes of your heart and you see and you believe and you have faith and Jesus is sweet to you and you love him and you might not understand it and you're not sure when it happened but you look back and you say I read the Bible differently I view Jesus differently something has happened here and this change might actually feel really disruptive you might say, what, what do I do now? I've lived my life this way, but Jesus is real, and he's changed me, and I believe in him, and he calls me to live this way. It might not be a smooth transition. It might be very disruptive towards your life and challenging to think through and walk through and say, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it all, but I see Jesus. I see what he's done for me, and I believe it. And verse 8 here in this passage, becomes true for you. It says, though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You don't just conform to a set of facts about Jesus, but you believe in him. You trust him. You entrust your life to him. You don't just know about him, but you love him. You treasure him. And you have a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This faith in Jesus can give you joy in every circumstance, even in the midst of trial and great suffering. You can find him in it. Your faith that he has given you gets you there. He says he will guard it by the power he has by his power. And so things that you feel like would push you away from Jesus, 
things that are hard and challenging and confusing and you don't know where to find him in it, you will find him and he has compassion on you. He will keep you. He started it. He will keep it and he will finish it. He's with you all the way. And when you believe, this passage is true for you. This living hope is yours. You have Jesus now and you will have him forevermore. And he has raised, so you will raise. And you have this heavenly inheritance that is more than physical things, but is physical things and is a kingdom and a city and a glory yet to be fully revealed. And this new heart and soul that shares in the joy of Jesus and treasures him is yours. He has given it to you. And so it's amazing here in this passage, all that we have now, Jesus can be ours now through faith. To as many as receive me, I've given the right to be children of God, sons and daughters of God, who will have an inheritance, who will have a portion, and God will be their portion. We will share in his glory and his joy and his goodness forevermore. Things that we can't see and grasp now. If we were to see it now, we would be incinerated. We need a glorified body. We need him to work in us. We need him to redeem us, to even be close to his presence. And he will give that to us. And so look what God has to come for his people, even though he has given us so much now. And so as we are strangers and exiles on this earth, God has so much for us. But he has broke through, and I pray in your life, he has broke through, and you see him, and you believe, even if you don't understand it all, and you don't get every piece of it, and you're growing in it, and you just know, I was blind and I see. That's your confession. And God will work in you, and he will continue to save you and bring you to this heavenly place. And your heart can say, blessed be God, who according to his great mercy has caused me to be born again. Would you pray with me? Father, what we already have, what we already have is too much for us to comp comprehend. We, like the woman seeking to be healed by Jesus, should say, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Even a fringe of your glory and goodness is enough to heal and change us. Is that, if that is all that you were to give us, Jesus, it would be more than enough and far more than we deserve. But this is a mere sampling of what you have in store for your people. Everything in this life is dispensable but you, Jesus. Keep us by your Spirit. Guard our faith the trials of this life for it's just a little while until you have chosen to reveal all that you have in store for your people father grant us new life today change our hearts open our eyes let us see jesus and give us joy in him and it's jesus name we pray amen as we turn to the table we share in this table together as a reminder of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross and that he has given us this table 
also as an anticipation of the heavenly feast to come, the marriage feast of the Lamb, where we have received this full salvation that Jesus has made ready for us. The bread and the cup are primary for, primarily for members of City's church, but if Jesus is your treasure, then we welcome you to eat and drink with us. But if you are not there yet, we ask that you let the elements pass by, lest you proclaim something that you do not yet believe and bring judgment on yourself. His body is the true bread, and his blood is true drink. Let us serve you.